0: and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away.
1: Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday. So make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.
0: Realm Presents Book Burners, Episode 1.
1: One. Sal Brooks would have described herself in a police report as early 30s, female, brown hair, 5'9", exhausted, borderline breakdown case, shaking hands, haunted eyes, then she'd have deleted everything after nine and continued with the details of the incident. In this case, forensic analysis of the museum theft yielded an Astoria address. Arriving on the scene with warrant in hand, Detective Collins and I were fired upon from the window by a white male, late 40s. After a brief exchange of fire, Detective Collins forced the door. Behind the door, Cell set her badge and gun on her bureau and gripped the first two fingers of her left hand. Her stomach ran a floor routine, even the Russian judge would give full marks. She'd seen blood before, and bodies. The severed fingers in the ashtray on the coffee table in Astoria that afternoon? Those were worse. They'd yield prints, at least, which would not help her sleep tonight. Her cell phone rang. Perry. She didn't pick up. The ringing stopped before the call forwarded to voicemail, then started again. Still him. Perry, this isn't a good time, was what she started to say, but she didn't get halfway through her brother's name before Hurricane Perry struck shore. So, thank you, thank you, thank you for picking up. I'm so glad. It's wonderful to hear your voice. I missed you. How are things? How long has it been anyway? Can I come over, like, now? It's been a month. She thumbed a gap in her blinds. The sidewalk under her window was bare and the street almost empty. Red Toyota pickup, On the Civic, garbage, two young guys staggering home after drinking off a Thursday night. Thank God. The last time she'd heard Perry talk like this, he was on the run from some crazy scenester drama and hadn't waited for her permission to come over, just called her from the sidewalk in the rain and looked up, dripping with that hangdog John Cusack look she knew he practiced in the mirror. Since the last time you were in trouble? It's nothing big, Sal, I promise, nothing you should worry about. Just, you know, internet stuff. And then I started arguing with my roommates. And, you know, people can get crazy sometimes. Like, crazy. It's not the same thing as last month, I swear. I just need a place to be, you know? I'd get a hotel if I could. If he had money for a hotel. She peeked out her corner window just to be sure. He wasn't down there either. I've had a very long day, Perry. I know. I know. Every day's a long day for you. I'm so sorry, but I just kind of need a place to rest for a little while. And I did apologize for last month, and I sent you flowers. David still isn't returning my calls. You deserve better than a guy like that, a guy who doesn't understand the importance of family. David has a huge family. He's a good guy. He just doesn't like being kicked out of bed because my kid brothers locked himself out of his apartment. That was a good thing. emphasis on the was. And the flowers you sent were fake. Better that way, they don't die, right? And it wasn't just that I locked myself out. In any way, I'm improving. I mean, you don't have anyone over now, do you? Her eyes narrowed. She glanced out each window again. Where are you? What do you mean? She realized she could hear his voice twice, once through the phone and once from the hall. Sal marched from her bedroom, past kitchen and living room, to the door. She unbolted the bolt, unchained the chain, and pulled the door open. Perry was less wet than she'd last seen him, at least. One hand pressed an oversized Star Trek phone to his ear. He wore a dirty tan trench coat, open, over a ratty black t-shirt with three pixelated hearts on the front and a fourth half full, and jeans torn at the knee, from his nervous habit of clawing them while he worked on his computer, rather than from wear. His other hand held a large rectangular parcel wrapped in more t-shirts and duct tape, which he waved at her, then stuck under his arm and waved again with an empty hand. He deployed John Cusack version 1.2. She clicked her phone shut. He started warming up John Cusack version 1.7. She sighed and smiled and hugged him. Come in, doofus. He sat up in the living room and she put water in the kettle. Do I want to know why you're here? Thank you so, so, so much. He set the parcel on her living room table and undid the duct tape. It's not dangerous. I mean, I'd tell you if it were, you know. But I got into a fight with the roomies over a project we're working on together, It's sort of, and I want to make sure I'm right before I go home. Just need some time to work on this thing myself. Bunch of posers. Don't know Altaic from Aramaic. He unwrapped the t-shirts layer by layer, each silkscreened video game reference worse than the last. I get that one, she said. It's the, what, the game with the dysentery? Why all the t-shirts? So, do you have any idea how old this thing is? He folded a Mario shirt back to reveal a thick tome bound in pale leather with gold wire on the spine. The page's ragged edges were dyed blood red. Sal remembered severed fingers in an Astoria ashtray, and her stomach made a second pass at the floor routine. No? Old, and I mean old. I shouldn't be handling it without gloves. The kettle cried, and Sal followed its protest to the kitchen. You should get new roommates. You fight more with those guys than I ever have with an ex, even Jeremy. She returned with two mugs of coffee. It's just professional differences. I mean, we're working on big problems, borderline intractable. Arguments get heated. There are different strategies about how to approach the artifact. Aiden, you know, roommate Aiden with the crush on you, he wants to scan the whole thing for word frequency analysis, which just seems patently silly. The codex form factor suggests it's supposed to be read, like, by people. And anyway, Aiden's security protocols are hella lax, which matters when you're under surveillance. He took a sip made a face. Is this instant? Wait, is surveillance? Todd says it's the book burners. That's why they wanted the book out of the house, which is just so dumb. If the book burners were after me, how would I have even made it here? He set his hand on the book's cover. Sal hadn't noticed before how the leather was discolored. Most of it matched Perry's skin, but a crimson bloom spread beneath his fingers. She heard a sound she couldn't name. A footfall, maybe, or a whisper, very soft. Goosebumps chased goosebumps up her arms. Perry, who are the book burners? Do you think someone's following you? I thought you didn't want to know. She leaned over the couch over his shoulder and checked through the blinds. Street still bare, red Toyota pickup, Honda Civic, garbage, easy carpet cleaner van. Please, Al, they would have nabbed me on the way. They did not, ergo, I wasn't followed. What the hell is going on? Someone knocked on her door. Shit, Perry said. Jesus Christ, Perry. She grabbed her phone off the living room table. Who is that? Aiden, probably. Mr. Brooks? The man on the other side of the door was unquestionably not Aiden. Too old, too sure, too calm. An accent Sal couldn't place twined through his words. Mr. Brooks, we're not here to hurt you. We want to talk. Shit, Perry repeated for emphasis. Sal ran to her bedroom and returned with her gun. Who are you? I'm looking for Mr. Brooks. I know he's in there. If he is, I doubt he'd want to see you. I must talk with him. Sir, I'm a police officer and I'm armed. Please step away from the door. Has he opened the book? What? She looked into the living room. Perry was standing now, holding the book, fingers clenched around the cover like she'd seen men at bay clutch the handles of knives. Sir, please leave. I'm calling 911 now. She pressed the autodial. The line clicked. Stop him from opening the book, the man said. Please, if he means anything to you, stop him. Hello, this is Detective Sally Brooks and she rattled off her badge number and address. I have a man outside my apartment who is refusing to leave. Something heavy struck the door. Door jammed timber splintered. Sally stumbled back, dropped the phone, both hands on the pistol. She took aim. The door burst free of the jam and struck the wall. A human wind blew through. Later, Sal remembered slivers, a stinging blow to her wrist. Her gun knocked back against the wall. A woman's face, Chinese, she thought, bob haircut. Her knee slammed into Sal's solar plexus, and she fell, gasping to the splinter-strewn carpet. The woman turned, in slow motion almost, to the living room where Perry stood. He held the open book. His eyes wept tears of blood, and his smile bared sharp teeth. He spoke a word that was too big for her mind, She heard the woman roar and glass break. Then darkness closed around her like a mouth. Summer sun baked her skin. Sal lay, 14 years old, on a raft atop the pond out back of her grandparents' Carolina homestead, while Perry read aloud on shore. Her hand trailed into the still water. The water was still, but moving too. The raft rocked her head back and forth, and her body wasn't 14 anymore. And damn it, she was dreaming, wasn't she? If she strained, she could hear voices on the other side of the dream. You lost him. A man's voice, lilting, close, a different voice from before. How did that happen? He opened the book is how. A woman's voice. Do you need a picture? I have crayons in the truck if you'd like to draw one. He tried to hit me, she replied. Got her instead. I pulled her out, but he made the window before I could catch him. So the boys off grid with a writer in his head, and a city of eight million people. Wonderful, I think we'll call that. A double plus effort. Sirens. Christ, the man said. "I Answer calls quickly here. Come on, is she? Fine. Are you sure? Don't open your eyes while lying on your back. Bad for them. You'll see too much of the sun. She forced them open. The man kneeling over her was red-haired and beautiful. Sorry, I have to run. Have a nice rest. You'll feel better in the morning. He pulled away, and the ceiling grew new shadows, which fell to crush her again. sal in the department clinic with whatever she had to hand was how the clue solution would read if someone didn't start making sense soon she glared over the doctor's head at collins her partner who leaned against the wall arms crossed looking like he'd rather be anywhere but here carrying anything but the news he carried her head swam i've told you three times she said my brother came to my apartment. Two people followed him. I gave you their descriptions. They broke down my door, there was a fight, and I woke up when the officers arrived. It's not that complicated a story. You are sure you saw your brother? Of course I'm sure. It was Perry. He had some kind of fight with his roommates. Breathe, the doctor said. She breathed. The stethoscope chilled her skin. So what's the problem? Collins shifted, but if he'd been trying to get comfortable, his expression suggested that he'd failed. Who says there's a problem? Come on, Collins. Here, he passed her a tablet. Hit play. Security camera footage rendered her apartment building hallway in ghoulish greens and whites. She saw herself open her door and peer out into the hall, smile, step back, swing the door wide, and close it again. This is the wrong footage. It's not, though. Check the timestamp. Perry's not there. Collins lowered his chin toward his chest. It didn't touch due to the extra chin in the way. Scratch one theory. You thought I was seeing things. Who knows? We got your testimony. We got a living room with broken glass and two cups of instant coffee. We got a tape that doesn't match your story and falls apart ten minutes later. Stare up at the ceiling the doctor said. Just with your eyes, keep them wide, please. The doctor's flashlight burned the world. Sal forced herself not to blink. So, you don't have the intruders either. See, falls apart, like I said. Shit. Sal, come on. Chinese woman, white guy with red hair, unnamed third guy with, quote, old-accented, unquote, voice. Doesn't give us a lot to go on. Irish, she said. The white guy had an Irish accent. Great, Sal. In New York, that sure narrows it down. Someone must have doctored the tapes. First responders pulled them. If someone messed with the footage, they did it fast. The doctor released her eyelid, and she blinked pink blood-webbed blotches from her vision. The other eye, please. And again, the world was light. They planned this, Sal said. Whoever they were, it couldn't have been random. They were after Perry. They hacked into building security. Which would make sense. I mean, it'd be possible, if paranoid. Except those cameras don't talk to the internet. They're not even digital. There's an actual honest-to-God tape system in the building basement. Looks like it was installed back when I was hunting playboys under my big brother's mattress. Gross, Collins. There was a rat nest on top of the cabinet. Good thing we still have a VCR. Nobody got to that tape before our boys did, trust me. And you should find a new landlord. That building's a dump. My brother's out there, somewhere. I saw him. The doctor finished with the flashlight and stepped back. She's good to go. If anything's wrong, I can't see it. Sal squeezed both her eyes shut until the pink went away. Thanks, Doc. Can you give us a minute? When the door closed and left them alone, Colin sank into the doctor's chair with a long hiss, as if he was under such pressure he had to let out steam to bend. He looked at the back of his knuckles rather than at her. You know, none of this makes sense, he said. I know what I saw. And the more you say that, the weirder it sounds. Nothing on the cameras. I mean, nothing. No blood. No blood. What, did people think I just snapped, imagined my brother being kidnapped, beat myself up, broke my own Dan living room window? You were upset when you left yesterday. Of course I was upset. We found fingers in an ashtray. I freaked out, but that doesn't mean I'm nuts. We went to your brother's apartment. His roommates say they saw him this morning. Did you see him? She asked. Colin shook his head. Then they're lying, or he escaped. Either way, he's into something big. He needs help. We told the boys to call us when he shows up again. For now, you should take a day or two. Calm down, rest. And if I don't? He shifted his weight back on the chair, which creaked. The lieutenant asked me to tell you all this so it doesn't have to get formal. I have to find my brother, Sal. She pushed herself off the table and grabbed her jacket from the hook by the door. If you won't do it, someone has to. I'll pretend I didn't hear that, he said. Stay out of trouble, okay? She laughed, opened the door, and walked fast until she hit the street. Theories were for people with more patience than Sal Brooks, but the Brooklyn-bound Q train stopped over the Manhattan Bridge, so she had time to make up a few. I'm crazy the nuclear option didn't compel. The doctor said she was fine, physically. People snapped all the time, zero to nuts in 60 seconds, but this kind of snap didn't match her experience. If she were cracking, her story would make more sense, or less, or both. She'd met people on this very train who told her with overwhelming conviction that they were the product of genetic experimentation by the United States government using alien DNA, and they'd built a prototype transport beam to take them home, which they'd show her if she visited the compound in Jersey they shared with their four lovers chosen to embody the classical Chinese elements as if she'd trust someone who asked her to go to Jersey. So far, she wasn't ranting about conspiracies or screaming obscenities at passersby. Count crazy out, for now. Though crazy people probably did that, too. Once you reject the possibility you're mad, anything you do, no matter how strange, must be sane. Keep going in that direction, and you're one step away from the creep with the chopped-off index fingers in his ashtray. The train crossed the river but assume you're not crazy, she thought. Perry didn't come to you because of an argument with his roommates. He didn't drop by to say hello. He was afraid. Maybe he thought they wouldn't follow him into someone else's apartment, or maybe he knew he could escape somehow if he just had time to, to read that book, which made no sense. She rose out of the subway and onto a long, wide Brooklyn street with three-story brick houses on both sides, blank, dark windows, Italian bakery, convenience store. Newly-opened coffee shops indicated these blocks were a hair's breadth from hip. When the neighborhood crossed over, Perry and his friends would have to move, providing, of course, whatever mud hole they'd stumbled into didn't swallow them first. Perry's roommates knew something. If they had seen him this morning, they could tell her how he looked, where he said he was going when he left. If not, they had lied to cops, which gave her leverage. Not that she'd need much with Aiden and Todd. The boys scared easy. She took a quick turn around the block. Dead for 10 o'clock in the morning, most of the locals at work somewhere else. Cold November air tossed a sun front page down the sidewalk, and Sal shouldered deeper into her jacket. She walked past the boys' townhouse, which was the only one on the block still decorated for Halloween. A big, rain-soaked felt-and-wire spider clung crookedly outside Perry's window. Parked cars lined the street, mostly foreign-made. One finned pink Cadillac belonged in a Mary Kay reward brochure or a museum. And an easy carpet-cleaner van. Every instinct in her screamed, keep walking. Call backup, at least. Only idiots and martyrs throw themselves into situations they don't understand without cavalry waiting. She didn't know it was the same van. She was already on shaky ground back at the office, and the people who'd broken into her house seemed to have no personal feelings about their intrusion. If she remembered the conversation she'd overheard correctly, they even thought they had saved her from something. Still, though... If really wanted to rule out any chance she was crazy, she shouldn't have walked straight to the van, drawn her gun, thrown open the rear doors, and told the two monitor-lit figures inside, hands where I can see them. The Chinese woman rolled her eyes, then raised her hands to the level of her shoulders. I told you we should have switched vans. The redhead backed away from the keyboard and swiveled in his chair. She was out cold. How was I supposed to know? Where the hell is my brother? That's an interesting philosophical question, really, the guy said. Nice accent. That was the concussion talking, focus. The Chinese woman shifted forward in her chair. Don't move, Sal shouted. Excuse me, Detective Brooks, said a voice from the sidewalk behind her, a man's, deep, older, and studiously calm. The voice from the door. Sal drew back from the van and turned to include him in her field of vision. I think there's been a misunderstanding. He was tall, Hispanic, and wore a priest's black shirt and collar. He held a tray with three coffees in one hand, but the other was raised, palm up, between blessing and surrender. Who are you? What the hell is going on here? I am Father Arturo Manchu, accent on the second syllable. And as for your other question, I can explain if you'll let me. They stood on the sidewalk beside the van. Manchu had wanted to talk inside, but Sal gave him a what kind of idiot do you take me for look, which ended that line of conversation fast. Red looked uncomfortable out in the open. He kept shifting from foot to foot and glancing over his shoulder, hands deep in his pockets. The woman just watched, arms crossed. A bandage wrapped the knuckles of her right hand, and there was a lot of lean muscle hiding beneath her black jacket. Sal liked her. After a confusing day, straightforward hostility felt refreshing. You're priests, Sal said, skeptical. The woman laughed once. I'm a priest, Manchu said. Grace, of course, is not. Liam's a lay brother. Why did you break into my apartment last night? She considered adding how, in reference to everything, the broken door, the book, the corrupted tape. Decided against it. One problem at a time. Manchu set the tray of coffees atop the van. Your brother's in possession of a rare manuscript that does not belong to him. It used to belong to the people we work for. It was stolen 70 years ago. Turns out the volume spent the last seven decades in the Metropolitan Museum's sealed collection. Two weeks ago, someone broke into that collection and made off with a number of books, including this one. You're saying Perry was part of the museum heist. She remembered Astoria yesterday. Severed fingers and an ashtray full of blood. White male, mid-forties, shots fired. Hope of recovering, Christ, fingerprints. No way. Not directly. Your brother and his friends were one of many parties looking to buy the stolen texts. Father Manchu kept his voice calm, maintained eye contact, presented himself to her at an angle. He was good at seeming non-threatening, part of the job, Sal guessed. Her attention drifted back to Grace, who grinned, baring teeth. And there were others willing to pay more. Your brother stole the book from the original thief and left a copy in its place. We reached out to your brother, hoping to resolve the issue without violence, but he ran to you, and then he ran from you. The book is valuable, if only to a collector, and the people he stole it from don't like to lose. We can keep him safe if he works with us. The fingers had been wedged into the gaps in the ashtray meant to hold cigarettes. Their nails pointed out, sun rays of flesh and bone he should go to the police. We are the police, Menchu said. Bullshit. We're special consultants to the police department on this matter, if you'll permit me. He reached slowly for his breast pocket. She nodded. From within, he produced a business card with a cell phone number Sal recognized. This is Chief Gallagher's card. She'll confirm my story. We were overzealous last night, for which I offer my apologies. Perry is in great danger. And there it was, beneath the professional polish, beneath the professional assurance Sal had heard too many times from priests and lawyers. Manchu cared. I'm sorry, he continued. I know this has been a huge shock. I know you're worried about your brother. So are we. We need to find him. One man, Liam said. Off the grid in a city like this, paying with cash, no problem. Anyone else you'd like me to find while I'm at it? Elvis, Amelia Earhart? Father Menchu ignored him. It's possible his friends know something, but they're scared. They won't talk to anyone they don't know. We're wasting time, Grace said. We should just knock down the door. Liam nodded. Great idea, worked so well last night. There were a thousand procedural reasons Sal should leave. But Perry was in danger, and if these people had the chief's blessing, she could help them without breaking orders. Technically. I can help. No, Manchu said. I'm sorry, we can't involve you. I'm involved already. This is my brother we're talking about. Every second counts. If you go in there without me, you'll learn less than the cops did this morning. We know what we're doing. So do I. Manchu's eyes were deep and sad. Liam cleared his throat. Let her in, father. We're shorthanded, anyway. The priest sighed. Very well. One question, Sal said, to break the silence as much as anything else. You said your consultants Where from. The old man raised one finger to his collar. Isn't it obvious? Jesus Christ, Sal said when Liam handed her the bug. It was barely visible against the cosmetic tape. When she set it against her skin, she didn't feel the slightest chill of metal. This is good gear. My specialty, and this one. Liam offered her a thin silver cross on a chain. What's this for? Stuff, he said. Just put it on, okay? I don't believe in God. He believes in you. He laughed as if he'd made a joke. Think of it as a temporary deputization. Grace checked her watch. We could have been inside 20 minutes ago. Talk normally, Liam said, and we'll hear. If there's trouble, use the cross. Panic button? More like a mood ring, only in reverse. If you see something strange, try touching it with a cross. There are... He wiggled his fingers. The circuits and stuff. You're joking. Oh, ho, ho, ye of little faith. Thanks, she said, and left the van. A skull knocker stared out at Sal from the boy's front door, a half inch left of center. Drill holes covered with duct tape pocked the door to the knocker's either side. They'd tried to screw the knocker in three times without measuring the door's actual midpoint, and after the third attempt, agreed to celebrate their success. The mailman had given up on the overstuffed mailbox, its contents congealed by rain into a sodden block of wood pulp and ink. Layers of junk mail formed a newsprint marsh on the front step, sporting an impressive array of greenish molds. Sal stared into the skull's glass-chip eyes, squeezed her own eyes closed, opened them again, and reached for the hinged lower jaw. Before she could touch it, the door jerked open to reveal Aiden tall and gangly, wearing pajama bottoms and a dirty flannel shirt. He stopped the door with his foot, but he was too skinny to quite fill the small gap. Sal, this is a really bad time. She shoved the door. He stumbled back, upsetting a pile of mud-caked boots, and she pushed through into the narrow, musty hall. The door slammed behind her. Where's Perry? What the hell have you gotten him into? Perry's fine, Sal. Come on, this is like illegal search or whatever. I know my rights. I don't give a shit about the weed you have on your desk, Aiden. Perry's in trouble, true or false? Perry's, Uh. Aiden spread his arms to span the hall and block her path between a rack of mud splattered coats and a cross stitch Perry made of Darth Vader's mask. Perry's fine, we're fine. We had a, you know, small disagreement last night, but we've taken care of everything. Maybe we could go out for coffee and talk about it. Let's talk here, unless there's something you're trying to hide. Hide? No, of course not. What would we try to hide from you? She jerked forward as if to duck under his left arm. When he braced to grab her, she jagged right and he fell into the coats while she swept past into the living room, a sea of pizza boxes and USB cables. A rust-dotted Renfair sword hung on the wall. Something green bubbled in a beaker on a Bunsen burner atop a clawfoot table she'd rescued from curbside recycling for them. Stairs rose from the mess to the second floor where the boys slept when they slept at all. Todd, black, older than Perry and Aiden, though he'd enacted, sat at the couch flanked by two monitors, with a heavy leather-bound book open on a stand on the coffee table. He looked up and blinked at Sal through goggles. Aiden's coat muffled cursing from the hall mixed with music from upstairs, or something like music. A stream of bleeps and blips she remembered from sitting cross-legged on the carpet, eight years old, playing Nintendo. Sally, great to see you. Didn't expect you to drop by. Perry didn't say anything. The prescription goggles warped Todd's eyes to silver dollar size. But this is a really bad time. Aiden said, The bad time wouldn't happen to have anything to do with my brother's disappearance, would it? Or the museum theft? Todd let go of the book, too fast. His blue latex gloves left a trace of powder on the brown leather, which was embossed with a vine and knot pattern. Or were those vines, after all? I really don't know what you're talking about, Sal. Like we told the cops, Perry came by this morning. He was fine. He looked scared, but that's it. He swallowed hard. Theft, though? You think Perry was mixed up in something? I haven't seen that book around here before, Todd. Look. He raised his hands, fingers spread. Perry's the one who gets the books. We analyze, translate, upload. It's all above board, as far as I know. Maybe Perry got himself in deep with the wrong people, but I don't know who or why. You just read the books. That's it, he said. So if I came back here with a warrant, what would I find? You don't want to do that, Sal. I mean, really. I want to know where my brother is. He doesn't want to see you. He came to my house last night terrified. Nothing's changed between now and then. Behind her, in the hall, Aiden recovered. Sal. Sweat ran down Todd's temple to his cheek. Maybe we can talk this over somewhere outside? His eyes jerked up and left. She turned. Three bedroom doors upstairs, one for Aiden, one for Todd, one for Perry. Perry's, the one with the Japanese cartoon scroll, was slightly ajar. That sounds like a good idea, she said, then ran up the stairs and burst through the door into Perry's room. Monitors illuminated the unmade bed, the bare bookshelves the piled clothing. There should have been sunlight, but the Halloween store spider hung outside Perry's window blocked the sun. And Perry himself sat in ripped jeans and blood-stained shirt, curled like a shrimp over his keyboard, unblinking eyes inches from his central monitor. Barefoot, hair tousled, one day growth of beard. Jaw muscles snaked, relaxed, snaked again as he rocked in his chair, typing. Perry! Except, Detective Brooks, a lawyer might ask someday, how did you know the person sitting in the chair was not your brother? And she'd open her mouth before the courtroom, but no words would come out. An audience would stare at her. The judge would drum her fingers. The lawyer would lean forward. Anytime, Detective Brooks. The clothes were Perry's, the body language ditto. But still, when she said Perry the second time, Her voice was uncertain. He stopped typing, uncurled himself vertebra by vertebra from the keyboard, and turned to her. His eyes focused on the wall behind her. He smiled woodenly. Sal, sister, I'm sorry you had to come here. Perry. She'd imagined hugging him when she saw him again, imagined hitting him too. Neither seemed possible now. Perry, you're here as if saying that would make it true. I am, and you should go, Sal. What a reasonable suggestion. I have work to finish, if you don't mind. She didn't, but her not minding was strange, wasn't it? Harry, what happened last night? Nothing, he said. I was pushed, you see. The book burners chased me, and I took help where I could find it. I'm perfectly fine, better than I've been in a long, long while. You're a police officer, he said, as if he'd just looked the fact up in a large and fine print list. His words didn't match the movements of his mouth. She focused through the fear. And why fear? He was her brother. But maybe he wasn't right now. His mouth was not moving in time with his words, because the words he spoke were not English, even though that was the language she heard. It must feel like this when you solve a case, when the whole world makes sense at once. I've been working on a puzzle for a long time, and I just needed the right push. He reached for her. There seemed to be a great deal of space between them all of a sudden, but his arm grew longer to bridge the gap. A finger of ice pressed against her skin above her heart, so cold it burned. As the hand approached, it no longer looked like a hand at all, not like a hand of flesh. Torn, corrugated tin twisted around paper and woven plastic bones forming fingers. Black oil dripped from ragged joints. The arm was a length of rebar wound with trash bags and shredded cloth. Bottle glass eyes reflected the monitor's blue glow. Thin lips parted to reveal metal teeth, wet with more oil. But some traitor impulse still insisted this was Perry, her brother. There was no reason to pull back from him. There was no reason to run. She should let this thing touch her. That the oil on its metal skin was not oil, in fact, but a whisper, a voice that might help her if it only got inside. The cold fire against her chest was real. Her skin seared, froze, cracked. She followed the pain back to her body and retreated, unsteady, as if her legs belonged to someone else. She staggered out into the hall, the arms stretched toward her impossibly long. She slammed the door shut on the thing's hand. The Perry thing didn't seem to care. It kicked the door open. Mangled fingers clicked back into place. Its smile split as it widened. It didn't need a face anymore, just Teeth. From the bedroom, she heard a window shatter. Bottle glass eyes widened. A black blur knocked the thing that was not her brother into the wall. Sal blinked, and the blur resolved into Grace. Slivers of window glinted from the insteps of her boots. She raised one of Perry's monitors overhead and slammed it into the fallen creature's face. Sally thought, help. Her hand went to her shoulder holster, but Grace and the creature were too close, moving too fast. It threw Grace back, wriggled to its feet without concern for any principles of anatomy, and ran at her. Grace jumped back onto the bed out of reach, dodged a tin claw, then jumped onto the creature before it could recover, toppled it to the ground, and struck it in the face four times with her forehead. A ceramic plate on the thing's face broke. Grace clawed inside it for something Sal couldn't see. Take it easy, that's my brother. It's not, Grace said. It never was. The creature threw her into the desk. Grace roared, dodged left. A claw shattered one of the remaining monitors. Grace grabbed the broken flat panel from the floor and hit the arm, which snapped. Grace, get back. Give me a shot. I have this. You worry about the guys downstairs. What? Go. She went. Behind her, more screaming, more broken glass. Downstairs, Todd sat in front of the book. His blue-gloved hand stroked its paper. He looked up and over at her. Todd, Jesus Christ, there's something up there. But his goggle swollen eyes were black from pupil out to edge. He
0: turned a page of his book. You are listening to Book Burners. Created and produced by Realm. Your portal to another world. Listen away. Bookburners is created by Max Gladstone and written by Max Gladstone, Margaret Dunlap, Amal El-Motar, Murr Lafferty, Andrea Phillips, and Brian Francis Slattery. Executive produced by Molly Barton and Julian Yap. Performed by Xe Sands. Audio production by Amanda Rose Smith. And additional editing by Corey Barton and Brooks Ewald. Original theme by Hashem Asadolahi featuring Jody Redditch-Ferber and mixed by Justin Morrell. Cover art by Annie Wu. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Osadolahi. Find more shows like Book Burners by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.